Good morning, church family. Like Oren said, my name is Devin Fox. Um, I, uh, me and my wife, basically, are the directors of GCBI. We're a one-year Bible college down in Avon Park, where we just teach the Word of God. We're just training up, hopefully, the next generation of leaders, um, whether they be pastors, elders, deacons, whatever that look like. Um, they come to us to get a firm foundation, and we launch them into whatever's next. Um, for some of them, that's going to be vocational ministry. Um, for some of them, it's going to be their normal everyday job. So we're just trying to train them um, before they go off to college because I don't know if you've heard about the college campuses. Um, I haven't heard good things. I don't know about you, but um, they're pretty uh, painful for a believer when you're walking on. And even some Christian colleges, it's hard to walk onto that campus not knowing what you believe and why you believe it. So what we're trying to do there <clears throat> is just give them a firm foundation foundation of why do you believe what you believe so when they go into those hostile environments that was the word I was looking for they're prepared they they might not have all the answers but they're confident that I know who Jesus is I know who Jesus has called me to be and therefore I'm going to live that out regardless of what my circumstances and situations look like Um, so that is my GCBI spiel and now you have that So I am super excited to be with you this morning. I actually preached in Sebring, neighborhood Sebring, um, last week and did uh, chapter 2 of Hebrews, the end of chapter 2 of Hebrews. So now I'm transitioning to chapter 3 of Hebrews. And what an awesome book. What a great book. And and I don't know about you, uh, if you're Jewish in the room, this is the book for your friends and your family. But my guess is, my assumption is, and, and maybe that's wrong of me, a lot of you in this room aren't Jewish. So you're taking a book that's written to Jews and you're thinking, okay, that's great. I don't have these same problems. Because their main problem is, why Jesus? Why am I choosing Jesus? Because I have an idea of what the Messiah was supposed to look like. I have an idea of what God is supposed to be, and he never put on human skin, and and that doesn't make sense to me. So the writer is trying to explain to a group of people of why Jesus is the way, why Jesus is better. And to me, I think for application purposes, for us sitting in the room, I am hopefully going to encourage you this morning. In stuff that you probably already know. I'm probably not going to cover crazy ground of something that you're like, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. But my hope is that I'm going to encourage you about our Savior this morning. The reason that we get to sit in this room this morning, the reason everybody showed up to open this word is because Jesus has radically changed our lives. Amen? He came, he lived, he died so that we would have a relationship with him. Something that was broken all the way in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, he already had a solution for the problem and it was Jesus. And the writer, who we don't know who it is, had a mission in his heart to say, I want to see God's people know the one and true God. And for me this morning, my hope is to encourage you, who is your Savior this morning? Well, when Ben told me the kind of premise, and hopefully this matches up with what Pastor Oren has done, um, but our Jesus is greater than the circumstances, the situations, and the obstacles in our lives this morning. But can I just tell you, when we're going through the monotony of life, listen, I know and you know tomorrow is Monday. 
So that means a whole mess of problems that are waiting for us, trials, difficulties, annoyances, frustrations, all of that stuff is waiting for us as soon as we wake up tomorrow. And I think the writer of Hebrews, and I'm going to try to put some hands and feet application for you sitting in the room, um, I think the writer of Hebrews is, the, is going to explain something to us. Jesus is greater than my preferences, my wandering, my bitterness, and my doubts. And he's going to, we're going to look at a couple of those things in the scriptures and say, okay, I wander. Anybody else in this room? I know I wander away from Jesus. I know that I, I, there are times in my life where I'm going to put him on the shelf and try to run the show. And then I'm going to fall on my face, much like in the book of Judges, and go right back to him. And there's this cycle, cycle, cycle of me. I got it, God. We uh, have a a two-and-a-half-year-old, and this is going to go right into our first point. Um, And when you have a kid, you just have to use them in sermon illustrations because it's so ripe. I mean, having a a two-and-a-half-year-old, she's almost three. But um, she's learning to ride a bike, right? She's learning to pedal. And she just wants us to push us. She doesn't want to pedal. She just wants us to do all the work. Um, and, uh, but it is very much like that with our Savior as we push, push, push. And you can let go now, Jesus. That's us, right? I got this. I got this. And then what we find out is when we tell him to let go, he is very polite and he will let go. Right? He's going to let you try to do it on your own. Anybody have ever tried to do that? Try to live this life on your own. Try to, to face the problems and the issues of the day. And guess what? You are going to crash. I vividly remember when I was learning to ride a bike, I crashed into my dad's truck tire right into it. And I was crying like a baby because I was kind of a baby. And that's what happens when we, he lets go and says, no, I got it. I don't need anybody to help me. And I think this is the encouragement that we're going to see. My, my title is Jesus My Way because I think what we're going to walk into is our preferences. Everybody likes their preferences, right? Everybody has an opinion on everything nowadays. Well, I don't, I don't know if I like that worship this morning. Well, good, because it wasn't for you. It was for Jesus, right? I mean, at the end of the day, well, you know what? I, I don't know if I like the color of these chairs in here. We all have preferences as we I don't like how that guy cut me off in traffic. I don't like how this guy is going 20 miles under the speed limit in the left lane. I don't like that. We all have preferences in our lives. And and if we're honest, we also have preferences on how our God runs our life and the world. I don't think I like how God did that this week. I don't think I like how he taught me that lesson this week. We are learning very quickly Our life is just much more simpler if we let our almost three-year-old do whatever she wants, right? There's no crying, there's no fighting, there's no pow-pows, which are spankings for us. There's none of that. If we just let her live her life, our lives are much better. There's no fighting, there's no problems, there's no issues. But then we raise a crazy, out-of-control daughter, and nobody wants that. See, I, I think we, we have grown accustomed to tagging Jesus on everything that we do. We run the show, and then Jesus gets to come on the side, and he has to approve everything we do. And, and can I just tell you, that was never the goal or the idea of Christianity. It was, I am a new creation because he created me to be new. And he gets to run the show. There are so many verses in Scripture that we like to cling to and say, oh, that's such a good verse. But there are also verses that have a lot of power to them, right? Philippians 4.13 is one I like to pick on with our students all the time. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody love that verse, right? Like, yeah, that's awesome. I can do anything. Scale mountains. But if you go before Philippians 4.13 and read in context of what Paul is saying, I don't really like those verses as much. Because what he says is, listen, I know how to live with much, and I know how to live with very little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context, what he's saying is, listen, when things are going great, Jesus is my constant. When things are going terrible, Jesus is my constant. You want to know what remains consistent is my God? Because as he leads me and I follow, which if we're honest, sometimes we get that cart before the horse. As he leads and I follow, I know whatever I'm going into, at least he's with me. We just studied the book of Joshua in our class uh, with GCBI. And when they get into the land, one of the coolest stories is the walls of Jericho. Everybody know that story, and they're marching, and they're marching, and the walls fall down. But if you go to the story before that, where they're sitting on the cusp after wandering for 40 years, their parents have wandered in the wilderness, and they're sitting on the cusp of the land, and they can see it, and they can feel it. They walk up to this thing called the Jordan. They walk up to this river, and can I just tell you, it's not a big river. It's probably the size of this room, maybe even a little bit smaller. But to them, it is terrifying because it's rushing water. And in a biblical landscape where everything is dry, rushing water means death. It means landslides. It means you're going to be pushed away. So they walk up into this water, and they're terrified. And, and God goes throughout the camp and says, tomorrow... The ark of the Lord is going forth, and we're going to stand in it on dry ground, and you're going to cross over. It's the Moses moment, but for Joshua. And I tell you all of this to say, listen, when you let him lead, when you allow your preferences and not try to control him, but let him control you, he's going to lead you to some scary stuff. That river was terrifying to them. But he said, if you will follow me, if you will let me lead, I'll walk with you and and guide you. But if you want to take the reins, I am under no obligation. Ask the Israelite people. I'm under no obligation to bless and glorify you. So they cross the, the Jordan, and they are amped before because God, and this is Psalm 23, and most of us know that, he leads me by what? Anybody? Still waters. You want to know why? Because still waters were good water. It didn't terrify them. The whole point of that still waters is God knows what scares you. God knows in your heart what is going to terrify you and move you away from him. So in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me by still waters because he is a good shepherd. But the key to that verse is he gets to lead. Now, all of that to say to get to Hebrews, okay? I know, where is he going with this? I, I promise I'm going somewhere. Because when you walk into Hebrews, what I think we as Gentile believers in the 21st century can glean from this book right here is, wow, how awesome is my God. 
I don't think a lot of you in this room are going to struggle with, well, why didn't Jesus come as Moses? Most of you in the room probably don't care about Moses that much. He's a cool biblical story, but to them, the Jewish believers hearing this letter, man, you want to get a Jew's attention, three names, Abraham, Moses, David. That zones them in, okay? I don't know what your spiritual leader, okay, I want you to, because we're getting to the text, I promise I'm getting there, but I don't know what your spiritual leader is in this context, but for me, growing up, Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, these amazing pastors were like, ooh, I want to be like that. That's the feeling you're supposed to get when the name Moses is brought up. It's like, oh, pillar of the faith. Right? For some of you in the room, it might be Billy Graham. It might, might be D.L. Moody. Whoever it might be, when he invokes these names, that's the feeling you're supposed to get. So when you walk into chapter 3, hear that, because that's where we're going. I think I have a clicker. And if, hopefully I'll go in the right direction. Oh, you know what? Turning on helps every single time. There we go. So first we're going to start out in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible, go there, Hebrews 1 through 6. That's where we're going. I'll let you get there, but I'm going to read it for you, okay? Therefore, now, I have to take a time out here, because this is we drill this into our students' heads, okay? Whenever you see a therefore, this is going to get cheesy, okay? Just work with me. This is what I do. I, I deal with high school, college-age kids. When you see a therefore... The question, and every piece of scripture that you should ask, is what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, I know that's cheesy. Just give me a pity lap. Thank you, thank you. A pity lap. Because the therefore, what, what he's saying there is because of everything else I have said is true, we move into the next point. Right? That's what he's doing. So therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly call, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things, which were to be spoken later. But Christ was a faithful son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Now, I know you probably have a different version. I'm in an NASB, but we got the gist, okay? You're probably in the same ballpark as me. And he starts and goes in. And remember, he's talking to a Jewish people who are wrestling with this Jesus guy. For most of us in the room, we're not wrestling with that Jesus guy. But we need to be reminded, because if you're anything like me, I forget what my wife told me before I go to the grocery store. Okay? And I have many times, she's like, well, did you get this? Nope. And you can ask her. I make her text me what she needs. Because if it's on a text, I ain't going to forget it. I can check off lists. I am a, man, you want to talk about an all-star and checking off lists sometimes. Um, <clears throat> but you drop into this passage, and these Israelites are wrestling with who Jesus is. So he brings up Moses. And there's a correlation that he brings up. 
and I don't know if you caught it, but he said Moses was a servant. But what was Jesus in the text? A son. And if you understand the biblical culture, especially with heirs, okay, especially with the hierarchy and the, the patriarchy of taking inheritance, can I just tell you, the best servant in the world doesn't compare to a son. That's the picture he's painting there. He said, you could be the best servant in all the household. Guess what? You're never reaching son status. You can be the best employee ever, but guess what? The family is more important to him. So Jesus looks at these Jewish people and says, Moses is great, but what does he say? Verse 3, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And you read that and be like, well, duh, it's Jesus. But they read that and their jaws hit the floor. Because more glory than Moses... I don't know if you know this, but when Moses is buried at the end of the law, they don't know where his body is. They don't know where his bones are. They're just like, ah, we don't know where they are. But God says, I'm going to need those. You want to know how much glory Moses has? You want to know how much power Moses has? In the book of Jude, and I, I, that, that's a really weird book, but if you get to the book of Jude, there's only one chapter, really easy read, by the way. You get to the book of Jude, and what the writer says is, by the way, they were fighting over the bones of Moses. Because Moses is going to need that body again. And you go all the way to the book of Revelation, and there are two, two witnesses that show up in the book of Revelation. And it seems to be a guy that has power over water and, and, and miracles. And then there's another guy who controls the weather. And there's really... Two guys that I can think of, and this is what I know you're like, why are we in Revelation? What is going on? There are only two guys that I can think of that dealt with what they dealt with in Revelation. The first being Moses, and that is why the body was important, because we'll get there one day. I'm sure Oren will get to teach you all that fun stuff. But the other, do you remember Elijah getting caught up in a chariot of fire? We don't know where his body is because he didn't die. And it seems to be those servants. I say all of this to tell you this. When he says the word, more glory than Moses, they had a preference in their heart of how they wanted the Messiah to come. They had a preference of what they wanted the Messiah to look like. They had a preference on everything just like we do today. And they couldn't accept Jesus because what kind of God would put on human skin? What kind of God would meet us where we're at? What kind of God would do this? That's their wrestle. That's their heartbreak. And he says, listen, you want to talk about glory? Moses was a servant. Jesus was a son. So what does that have to do with you sitting in the room this morning? Your Messiah, your Savior is God incarnate. And he is greater than any preference, any box. One of the first commandments it says, hey, don't make me into anything. You don't get to dictate what I look like. You don't get to dictate what is good. I get to make the call. Now, me, myself, in my sinful state, I really would like to tell God what is good and what is bad and how my life should look. And, and hey, God, it would be really great if you just dropped some money into my I would like to dictate what is good and what is wrong. And God says, nope, you don't get that role. 
So when we look at Jesus being greater than our preferences, I need you to look at your own life and say, hey, what are some of the preferences in my life that are hindering me from walking with him? What are some of the preferences in my life that are hindering me from allowing him to lead me on a daily, weekly basis? Because you know they're there. You walk into this passage, and we all come in with an idea of what we want our God to do in our lives. Amen? I mean, you're sitting here this morning and saying, you know what I would really like my week to look like is this. God, it'd be really cool if you did this. And very rarely do I find that he does exactly what I want him to do. And that will lead to another part of the story. Because the next element that we look at is Hebrews 1, 7 through 11. And he's going to bring up something in 7 through 11. Therefore, I don't have to go over that. You guys already should have some words echoing in your head. Just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the mindset. He's talking about the Jewish people and he's talking about the 40 years of wandering And if you go back into Exodus, which I know isn't fun, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we just covered it in class, and it was a trudge, okay? It is beautiful, but it is, it is, it is rough sometimes, okay? But do you understand why they didn't get to go into the land? I don't know if you remember this story, but spies were sent into, they were right on the edge, man. They were like, all right, we're going to go in, and they sent spies. And they come back. And everybody except one guy says, yeah, they're too big. Yeah, that's too scary, man. We can't take these guys. We got to pray to God and think of a different route. We got to think of a different thing because this doesn't work. And Caleb's like, no, 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 no. God will deliver us. God will lead us. God will give us the land. And guess what? The majority outweighed the one voice and they said, no, we're not going to do it. And God got really mad and sent them on a 40-year camping trip. So you're not going to trust me. You're not going to follow me. Guess what? You need some more reproving. So we go wandering. And actually, the rest of the story is, after God says that, they said, no. You know what? If God wants us to go, we're going to go. And Moses said, no, nah, you don't want to do that. He's not going with you. And they go up and thousands die and leave in body bags. And everybody's emotionally scarred and broken. And then the next passage is, when you get into the land, let me divide it for you already before you get there. It's an encouragement part, but it is what it is. All of that to say this, for you sitting in the room this morning, where do you wander? Anybody wander away from the faith? What I've found in in many cases, it's the college years, wander away from God. We were just talking about this this morning, driving here. It's like, you know what is really awesome? Church. Because you get to drop your kid off, someone plays with them and teaches them about Jesus, and you get a break for an hour. You get to learn about Jesus. This is amazing. Whoever invented this was right on. But we all know that 
our hearts, our default setting, let me put it that way, our default setting, your flesh desires to walk away from Jesus. Nobody has to teach my daughter to do wrong. She already got it from me and her mother. Sin nature passed on. Nobody had to teach her. Her default setting is walking away. So is ours. And this is where Paul comes in in Romans and says, guys, you got to understand, you may have crucified yourself and now you're alive in Christ, but you need to understand that sin nature is still there. That old man is still there. Amen? Or woman in some of your cases, okay? That flesh is still there. That desire to walk away from him is still there. Uh, there's a Kenny Chesney song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Yeah, nobody wants to go right now. You're missing the point if that's your message, okay? That's not the idea. The idea is I want to walk with him. Why do I want to walk with him? Because his words are life. He knows how this thing works. He knows what is going to benefit me. And when I say benefit, don't see cash register. See spiritually. That's what James 1 says. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't. I get to zoom in and zoom out and say, hey, good to see you. Hope you're walking with Jesus. It's easier for a guy to come in and kind of yell at people because it's like, well, if you get mad at me, you won't see me for a while. So, <laughs> But at the end of the day, it's so easy for us to wander, to walk away from Jesus because our default setting says, I want what I want. It's really great that Jesus has an idea for my life, but at the end of the day, I want what I want. And when you wander away from him like they did in the wilderness, do you understand what you're saying with your life? I know better. I got this. How many times do we do that on a weekly basis? Yeah, I know what God wants me to do, but it's really easier to just do this. You know, I, I got that God is really pulling me in this direction. And I deal with that on a daily basis because I got a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds that are so used to going to youth group, saying some prayers, looking the part, right? Christianese and, and, and behavior modification. Youth group is really good at that. I just, I, I did youth ministry for seven years. Everybody would bring their kid to me and say, fix them. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how this works. Until Jesus does something in their lives, I can't do anything. I can spend time with them, hang out with them. But where does the wandering come from? The wandering comes from, in the purest of terms, the wandering in our heart comes from us not believing God is who he says he is. That's where your wandering comes from. Why is it so often that when we're not in the word and we're not active in our church and we're not volunteering and... and when that stuff happens, you know wandering is close by. You know it's happening. You're, you don't even have to actively... Can we just be honest for a second? I know we're in church, so we're supposed to be, so just work with me here. My wandering is not intentional. It's always unintentional. It is. I, I think I know, but I'm going to do this, even though I feel like God is pulling me in this direction. Let's see how it goes. I'm going to roll those dice and see what happens. And you have the Israelite people. 
the writer is pointing back to a time of Jewish people saying, listen, when you don't walk with him, do you understand what happens? Do you understand that this didn't work in the past? How many times have you tried something the same way over and over again, hoping for a different result? They have a definition for that. Anybody know what it is? Insanity. Well, you know, it never worked for anybody else, and and it hasn't worked for me, but maybe this time it will work. It's so interesting to me because as you jump for the rest of the passage, and and I'm losing time real quick, you jump to the rest of the passage, he goes three, uh, 12 through 16, I'll read it really quick. Take care, brethren. That there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What a verse. Because that's what sin does. It deceives you into believing that your way is better or someone else's way is better. And God says, nope, I can promise you it's not. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Verse 16. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Can I just say it this way? Take a step back. God is greater than our bitterness. Because there are people, can you imagine being Moses? And I know I'm going all over the place, but it's all rooted in what he's talking about. Moses, this leader, this amazing man of God, leads these people, deals with their heartache, deals with their headaches, deals with their disobedience. There's multiple times he's like, just kill him or kill me, your choice. I am done. He leads them for 40 years, and guess what? God says, you don't get to go into the land. I dealt with all these sheep that continually wander, and you're not even letting me go in? I think that's interesting because it it does emphasize that Jesus is a better leader than Moses, and and you can kind of go down that route as well. Uh, Now, even Jesus, for you sitting in the room, God has called us all to discipleship, discipleship, disciple making, whether it's your home, whether it's your family, it's other people in your lives. Jesus didn't bat a thousand, right? Okay? We all know that there was... Judas, that did not walk with him. Can you imagine spending your entire life with Jesus? Well, not entire life, but you know what I mean. Three years with Jesus, walking, seeing, hearing, feeling. And be like, nah, that's not it. And rejecting him, that's a whole other ball of wax. Have you ever had in your life something inside of you that you just hold on to? that you feel like God has dealt unfairly with. I'll be the first one to do it, okay? But when I grew up, I did not have a dad in my life, and then I had stepdads who were terrible that would beat us, that would do all of those fun things. And I held a grudge and a bag of rocks around with me Every single day that weighed me down. And when you don't take your hurts and your pains to Jesus, guess what? It turns to bitterness real quick. And even when I was actively involved in church ministry, and I was actively involved in doing things with, for Jesus, I still carried that with me. And I'm like, it's not fair. 
God, I know you're good. I know the Bible stories. I know, but I don't think what you did was fair. Because I would, and I, I, I've said this many times, but I'd look out on Father's Day, and I would be good for a while, and then you'd go to Father's Day and be like, mm, I didn't get that. This is not a happy day for me. This is a sad day for me. And that bitterness would well up in me. And my anger would not turn to the brokenness of sin. It would not turn to the brokenness of the world. It would turn to, God, why? I don't know about you if you have something in your life that you didn't think God played it out the way he should. Can I just tell you the resolution of that story? And I probably said it in this room many times. Um, I was doing youth ministry, and I sat across from a, a young guy who dealt with the exact same things that I dealt with. And I was able to look him in the eyes and say, I know exactly how you feel. And if anybody in this room has felt a pain that, that feels like no other, it is incredibly helpful when someone wraps their arms around you and said, I've been where you are. I've gone through exactly what you've gone through. I'm here for you. In that moment, I didn't get all the ins and outs of why God did what he did, but I started to see a glimpse, and that bitterness started to fall away. You sitting in the room this morning, chances are you probably are holding, in a room this big, it's probably half of you have had that moment in your life where God didn't play the things out that you, the way that you wanted to, for him to, and it's leading to bitterness in your life, and it will destroy you. It absolutely will. And I want to encourage you this morning that your God is not afraid of your bitterness. Your Savior is not afraid of your pain, your hurt, and your anger. And if you will hand it over to him, you'll be amazed at what he can do with it. I'm not going to say it's going to happen overnight. That's not really how I found it to work. But I can just tell you how it played out in my life. I can tell you how it played out in Job's life. If you go back to the story of Job, like, if anybody got a raw deal, it was Job. The, the first chapter starts off with telling you, man, he was perfect, blameless, did everything right. And God took everything from him. Took his kids, took his money, took his life. Not his life, but the life, his health. So he's sitting on the sidelines, scraping himself with a pot, being like, well, this was fun. This whole life thing. But there's one verse that I want to point out. I know I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane, I promise to you, okay? It says it this. The end of the story, after God shows up and says, hey, where were you when I made the foundations of the earth? Hey, you know who I am? Like, I spun it all. I know, I got a plan. This is what Job's response was when God showed up into his hurt and his bitterness and his frustration. Just listen. It's chapter uh, 42, verse 5. I have heard you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Can I just tell you, there are some things in your life that God allows to happen so that you see him clearly and real. He becomes real to you. Some of the biggest moments in my own life, it took suffering to get to see God clearly. And I would have never seen him the same way. I would have never knew who he was because sometimes you got to know that God mends your life back together, that he can put you back together because that's how big and awesome your God is. And you'll never know it unless life falls apart. Going back to James 1, he says, not if you go through trials, but when 
you go through trials. Watch what he can do. I'm running out of time. Let me wrap this up with this. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16 says this. We read 16, go to 17. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? And it, it, it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear if While a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. This is, your God is greater than your doubts and your questions And he welcomes all of those things, and I am so glad that he does. But as we walk out of the room this morning, I was going to go into the parable of the sower. And if you've ever read that parable, you got a guy throwing seed, right? And some doesn't ever grow. And some springs up and gets choked out really quick. And some grows, but there's other things in there, and it it distracts the, the growth of it. And then some springs up, and it's great. And the point of the parable that he tells is that There's nothing wrong with the sower. The guy who cast the seed, nothing wrong with him. The seed, nothing wrong with that. The problem was the soil. The problem is always the hearer. The problem is always us. If we're honest, God is trying to throw seed. He's trying to plant things in your heart. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to walk with you. He's trying to love, encourage, build you up. But we are so hard-headed. We are so stubborn. We are the problem. And yet, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy and the desire to fix what was broken. Even you, that stubborn soil, that hard-headed person, he reached into this world, put on human skin, came as the most vulnerable thing in the world, a baby who can literally do nothing for themselves, and lived a life so that you could have eternal life with him. I know that sounds crazy to the outside world. I have many unbelieving friends that think this is a fairy tale, that think this is made up by a bunch of men who are hopped up on God knows what, and it's just stories. Can I just tell you, as we wrap this up and as I pray for you, God is bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your wandering. Wherever you're at in the room, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey with him, he wants you back. And as crazy and ridiculous as those 40 years of wandering was, he didn't give up on Israel. That's my God. That's your God. He didn't give up on you in your wandering, in your perseverance to walk away from him, in your doubts, in your preferences. He has not given up on you this morning. He wants to walk with you. He wants to do something amazing through you because that's the kind of Savior that's worth singing about. That's the kind of Savior worth praising. That's the kind of Savior that's worth waking up on a Sunday morning and celebrating. That's why you're in the room. And that's what we glean from chapter 3 of Hebrews, that your Savior is worth celebrating, following, walking with, even when 
when we have doubts, even when we have trials, even when we have tribulation, because he's good. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it brings. And I know that throughout my life, throughout probably this month, I've been all over the place. That I have thought that I knew better than you. That I've held on to things I know I shouldn't. That I've made decisions and calls without you. I thank you for being a loving, gracious God that wrestled with Israel in the wilderness and that wrestles with us sitting in the room today. You don't abandon us. You scoop us up off the ground after we fall and you reassure us of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your steadfastness. Father, I need to be reminded of that on a daily basis, if not hourly, because of my thick skull. So Father, remind me of your goodness. Remind me uh, that you are better than all of my circumstances, tribulations. That you are good and that you are going to usher me in if I will walk with you. That you will take care of it. And that doesn't always mean happy-go-lucky rainbows. What it means is that when the storms come and rage against the rock, you will hold me. And that when you do bring blessing into my life. I get to bless you because you are the one that allowed it to happen. So Father, this morning, wherever we're at in our hearts with you, I pray that we are encouraged and reminded of how good of a God you are, how powerful, how mighty. You spun the world into existence. Genesis 1-1 is not a debate. It is confident. I made it. I know what it's for. And I thank you for being that kind of God. Encourage us this week to walk with you, to follow you because you're worthy of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.